NotFest.com presents Talk To Me. With over 300 interviews under his belt and six years running, your host Joshua Toomey interviews metal and rock's heaviest hitters. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Here's your host, Joshua Toomey. All right, guys, let's welcome Dave Snake Sabo to the Talk To Me podcast here at NotFest.com. Snake, how are we doing today? Man, we're doing great, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm not doing too bad, man. I, I realize that you're the second snake to be on the podcast because I actually had Jake the Snake Roberts on one time. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm such a huge fan of that, dude. His story is absolutely incredible, man. Right. Oh, so, yeah. The documentary Resurrection of, of Jake the Snake is phenomenal and uh not to go off topic or whatever but uh diamond dallas page is an old dear friend of mine from, oh, nice. from back in jersey i've known him since i was you know 18 years old oh wow uh so yeah he used to be a bouncer in new jersey and uh so to have see where page has come in all this time and and how he has helped out so many of his fellow brethren in the wrestling business as well yeah. as people outside of the business uh it's really tremendous and the fact that that jake is living to tell the story and and telling it coherently is is really a testament to his own hard work and 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 the work that he's done with with page yeah i mean growing up in the 80s watching wrestling you know as a kid and you know that era of wwf you know with the warrior and hogan and jake the snake and all those guys man um it, it was sad to see Jake the Snake on that documentary with with Diamond Dallas Page because you just see him the big belly coming out wrestling and just just terrible matches and yeah and, and it is you know it is great to see that he got it turned around and and Diamond you know helped him out with that yeah man I, I you know I mean for all intents and purposes that guy had one foot in the grave you know and right. uh, just again you got to give props where it's due because the guy. Put in the work, you know, didn't want to, but he did something inside of him said, that, you know, you better do this if you want to stay alive. Yeah. And not only has he stayed alive, but he's thriving. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Dal- Diamond Dallas Page's story, too. His story alone is crazy because he didn't make it until he was like, what, in his mid 30s. Yeah. And, and you know, most people like I, I did bands and stuff. And I when I hit 23, like the band I was in, you know, on tour, all this other stuff. And it hit me. I was like, man, if we broke up and I'm like, man, if I start a band now, you know, nothing's going to happen until I'm 27. And, you know, it's just like right. it, it, how how time, you know, uh, I guess gets away from us. And you think when you're young, 23 to 27 is a lifetime. But, you know, now that I'm in my 40s, I'm like, man, you could have been in 15 bands by now. You could yeah, still start it, a band. It's interesting how we we put these restrictions on our on our career goals. Yeah. I, I did the same thing. I I remember saying if, if, if I'm not signed by the time I'm 21, I'm giving up music. And, right. and I, I wasn't signed by 21. I got signed when I was 22. But when I was 21, I was like, I can't give this up. This is everything to me, you know, and it sort of taught me a lesson. Now, I mean, it made me, made me very ambitious. And, and so yeah. I, I, 
I made kind of more reasonable goals for myself that still kept me ambitious and, and kept my work ethic together. But uh, it was uh, it was really interesting because you know with Dee with Paige, you know, like you said, he was thirty five, and yeah. I I remembered all of that. I remember distinctly him <laughs> right? him uh, him you know doing the the whole thing in the AWA and then doing everything he could to get in the, in WWF at the time and ultimately landing in WCW and, and really thriving, man, like just thriving. But here's a bit of trivia for you. Okay. WrestleMania six. Oh, the best one. Okay. <laughs> WrestleMania six driving the pink Cadillac down the, down the aisleway to the ring. I believe with the honky tonk man in it. Look Sounds at the driver. Right. All right. It's Diamond Dallas Page. Oh, wow. That's his <laughs> car. That was his car. And if you look closer, about the 10th row along that uh, fencing, there's a 20, I guess it was a 1990. There is a 26-year-old Snake Sabo with <laughs> nice. a 32-ounce beer in his hand. Chugging beers going berserk at WrestleMania six. I always joke about WrestleMania six because obviously you you you've saw the Titan stuff as we started recording. Obviously, they've never won a championship. Most teams I've I've rooted for have never really won. But my favorite wrestler of all time is the ultimate warrior. And so, like him winning the belt that night is probably the only time something I've rooted for has won a championship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm the curse of death when it comes to, if you know, if you, whatever your favorite sports team, do you do not want me rooting for it? Oh, dude, you're really funny. That's really funny. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was quite an experience, man. We, I, I was hanging out with him all night and Pat Tanaka all night. And we were terrorizing everybody in the hotel till like five in the morning. We were menaces. <laughs> well, I mean that sounds about right, man. From uh, from from watching, you know, the career over the years. Uh, let's dive into the gangs all here, and then I want to get into some uh, some other stuff too, man. Um, sure. Dude, this starts out that hell or high water, like that's that's a top ten Skid Row song, you know. That's, Thank you. And and I don't know if that's going to be released as a single, but I think that you know if you came out with that one, I think it'll punch everyone in the face. Well, I I love that song too, and and uh, um. Yeah, but I like right now. I don't. I don't usually listen to our records once we're done with them, and so that's different with this one. I listen to it. I really yeah. like it. Uh, it's exciting to me, and maybe it's because of the of the path and the journey it took to get to where we are now, which was really. It, it was difficult at times, but that's no uh, different than any other band. Uh, but it was it was so exciting the whole ride to get to record the record and finish it and and then subsequently go out on, on tour with a with a really like a brand new singer. Right. Oh yeah, <laughs> brand new. You know, it's it's not like he's been in the band for you know a, a great length of time. I think right now he's been in the band for. Oh, Six months. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy how life can just change like that for somebody. You know, six months ago, you know, he's doing whatever, and now he's the singer of Skid Row, and I, this and his 
his presence in the band has brought so much enjoyment to everybody that's a skid row fan i don't i don't know what i haven't heard a single person just being like oh here we go again skid row with another singer it's like skid row is back you know type stuff we were really prepared for that of course i mean you know we're the ones making the decisions so we're very aware yeah of how many times we've we've attempted to do this and and but we were left with a choice of either making a really difficult decision or going down a path that would have been really uh, ultimately detrimental to everybody because we're, we're just existing. Uh, we're, we're moving in two different directions. You had, mm-hmm. you know, Rachel Scotty and Rob and myself and then ZP and, and, and with Z there was no animosity. I really liked the guy that he's got a great voice. Um, but we were just, in so many ways, moving in different directions. And so when we got to the point where we were, I guess, about three quarters of the way done, we were, we were pretty much done with all the recording of the music. We had two or three songs cut vocally. And we just realized that we needed to make a change. And that's a very bold move to make at that particular juncture uh, of of your career. You know, you're because we knew what we wanted this record to be. We had a really clear idea in our heads. Uh, Even more so when Nick Raskulinis came on board to produce the record. That's when it really got uh, honed in and uh, detailed and the vision was really, really clear. Um. And we went on blind faith with Eric, to be quite honest. We realized that we needed to make a move, but we also realized that we have we're we're doing a record, right. you know, and and we understand the importance of this record in 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 the uh, big picture of our career, and uh, that didn't get lost on us. So we had, uh, like I said, to make a really tough decision. Um. And we had Eric had been on our radar for quite some time. Uh, he had, you know, we we were well aware of him when he when he did eighteen to life in like two thousand and nine for, right. for the Swedish Idol, and we were like, man, that's great. Uh, what a what a compliment and what a talented guy. And then uh, he was mentioned to us a couple times by friends of people who knew him uh, from a, you know, from a a standpoint of performing and, and uh, we toured with them. He, his band heat opened up for us in Europe. Uh, And, and so we heard him sing every night. We're like, wow, this guy's great. You know, watched him and what never really hung out, like didn't know who he was or anything like that. And then we we were made aware of him again when he kind of redid eighteen in life, and then we started, you know, just checking out his other stuff, Iron Maiden and Dio, and all these things that he was doing, Queen, and it was really impressive. But when it got to the point where we had to, where we knew we had to make a move, Rachel said, "Why don't we call up that guy Eric?" Like, wow, man, that's like Stockholm and. You know, never met him before, but you know, we got to lose. 
Right. So we called him up and we said, you know, we've got some songs and that uh, we wrote. We'd love to hear you sing on them. And so he uh, he's like, sure. So we sent them one song, which was The Gang's All Here. And he sent it back, like, basically, like, 24 hours later. And I was in a, uh airport uh, lounge, airline lounge, Delta Sky Club. And in, in, I forget Fancy. where I was, out, out on the West Coast, I think. Yeah. And uh, Rachel texts me, and he goes, did you listen to what Eric did? I'm like, no, I didn't get a chance yet. And Nick Rasculin, it's the same thing. Have you listened yet? And I'm like, no, I haven't had a chance yet. And they were both like, dude, this is, like, for real. Like this is next level. So I'm like, oh shit, I gotta, I gotta listen to this. I gotta find a place. Well, I got to my phone. So I go in the bathroom and I put it up to my ear and I listen like four times in a row. I'm like, holy shit. Like that's what we were hearing mm. when we when we started writing this record and recording this record. So we we're like, this is like too good to be true. Uh again, now, mind you, we have to do a residency with the Scorpions in like a month. So we're going, how, how are we going to pull this off? It, and and we don't even know if, if he's interested in, in doing it. We, so we go, let's send him a couple more songs. And they came back, and both all three of us were like, this is next level. Like, this is a game changer for us. So we get, a Zoom, we get on a Zoom call, Rachel, Eric, and I, and uh, we start talking about you know menial stuff how you doing you know, blah 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 <laughs> and then all of a sudden Rachel goes well here's here's you know you've done a great job and and we both are like we we really love your voice and and you seem like a nice guy so Rachel goes well here it goes do you want to be the singer for Skid Row and he takes like this sigh this pause like <sighs> like that <laughs> and immediately I feel, and so does Rachel, think like, oh, he's going to say, no, he can't do it, and then we're going to be really fucked, and we don't know what we're going to be able to, how we're going to be able to pull this off. And he just goes, man, I'd love to. Wow. And we were like, oh, shit. Now, mind you, we (laughs) haven't been in a room with this guy yet. We haven't met him. We haven't hung out with him. We haven't, you know, broke bread with him. We haven't drank beers with him. We, We know nothing so we're just going on blind faith and instinct and, and, you know, and, and all these things are seemingly happening for a reason. And so let's not get in the way of, of the universe going about its, its business. And so he ended up singing five more or five more songs in Stockholm. We flew him into the States on a Tuesday, our first show is a Saturday, right? Still haven't yeah. met the guy, have not met the guy. I meet him at JFK airport again in the lounge. And from the minute we start, we saw each other. It was so strange. It, it, it felt like I have an old friend who I haven't seen in a while. And it was amazing. And just a wonderful, wonderful guy. He's got an amazing story of his own. So I think that lends uh, to the fact that he is so humble and so gracious and just positive and smiling and happy and everything is is you know moving forward and, and upward trajectory and, and 
but and just enjoying every moment. It was it really re- refreshing, and so I'm in a lounge room for like two and a half hours, and it's 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 like it's like we're celebrating old times that we've never experienced together. You know what I mean? Really right. weird. So this is going way too good. <laughs> of course, I'm waiting for some th- some something like for the right. other two to drop. Like, oh, by the way, I'm a convicted murderer. You know, like something. Or I'm I'm one of the I'm the seventh most wanted person in the United <laughs> So I call up Rachel and, and I, uh, he's in Vegas already. And I'm like, dude, we got a big problem. He's like, what? I go, I gotta be honest. This guy's an asshole. And <laughs> Rachel's like, are you serious? I go, dude, I, I I have to get. I'm leaving the Sky Club right now. I have to get away from him. I go, this is this is bad. And he's like, oh, shit, dude. Are you freaking – and you can tell he's just pissed off. I'm like, nah, dude, he's great. <laughs> he's like, oh, shit, yes, yes. So we get to Vegas, and everybody else is there, and we get together. And he was the same thing with everybody else. Hugs and, you know, let's go have a beer. We have dinner. We have a beer together and a few beers together. And then we rehearsed the next day on Wednesday, and it's great. And the guy did his homework. He was really, really prepared and w- just completely open to to uh, ideas and criticisms and anything like that. And it was great because you know you're you now you have to find your footing again because there's a new presence who's the voice of the man, and you don't know his movements, his you know how he reacts to the music being played behind him and, and, and you don't want to look like the three stooges up there you know running into each other so we rehearsed wednesday and it was great and we were really really happy and we rehearsed thursday and it was even better as we hoped it would be and we were like man we, we let, let's not even rehearse tomorrow let's just go play the show on saturday so we all met on tuesday we played our first show on saturday insane man right <laughs> And that's the one thing I think a lot of people listening need to know that that no matter the 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 amount of talent that this guy has, and you know you you've had it in the past where immense talent, but you know you don't get along off stage, and that's the absolute worst part about touring is if you've got a guy in the camp that's just you know rubbing everybody the wrong way, you know that's 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 a downfall for the band. Oh God, dude, it's it it breaks bands up, you know it it it, it makes you it forces you to make decisions. That uh, that maybe you don't want to make, and uh, but that has not been the case with this. Like this guy, he's a blessing, man. Uh, he's uh, obviously he's got a great voice, and he's great on stage. He's got so much great energy, and, and he reacts and responds, uh, reacts and interacts with the crowd amazingly. And we're all finding our spot again, you know, with, with each other on stage. So, and that's fun. That, that discovery is fun, you know? And uh, so it's just been this whole six months have been so enlightening and positive. And, and, and I think fans pick up on that. I think people in the audience really do get that. They see that and they feel that. Uh, that is genuine and that we all are really, you know, celebrating uh, the history of the band as well as, you know, our, our uh, soon to be made history uh, with the new music and stuff. And, and 
I couldn't be happier with the response that we've received. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're pretty humble people, you know? And so we, we understand what a gift this has been everything, you know, right. from, the, from the time the band started to where we are now, it's all been a tremendous gift and it is truly humbling. And now to be blessed with this guy who's got just immense talent and, just wants to succeed as a band. It's not about how, you know, for him, it's not about how can I succeed as Eric Gronwall. Right. It's like, how can we succeed as Skid Row? He's a, just a tremendous team player, willing to learn and continue to learn uh, as we all are. And uh, just owning the the position that he's in. And it's really great to watch, man. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, even even today, I saw the uh, the drummer from Nonpoint post about the new the gang's all here, and he was just like, he, I think his post was something along the lines of, you know, huge Skid Row fan, and you know, I'm even more pumped now than I have been in years for for a new Skid Row album. Oh wow, I didn't I didn't notice that. That's awesome. Yeah, get gets and the one thing on the album too, I noticed with Eric's voice, it's it's my comment on it was you know, the classics are going to be fine. You know, he's going to hit those notes and, and all this stuff, but I mean, even the new stuff he's doing, he's even given his own twist on it. Um, he does have some Dio in his voice, man. Every once in a while, he'll hit a little Dio note and you're like, all right, there you go. Like, I love that. Ryan, yeah. Ryan Dio is one of my all time favorite singers and, and yeah. uh, as well as being one of my all time favorite people as well. So that, that's a huge compliment. Absolutely. Well, let's go to the past a little bit. Um, obviously, giant Skid Row fan growing up. The one one question I had for you, and it's it's kind of a little a little off off center, I guess. But what is it that you think it is about Skid Row that guys that are into Pantera and Metallica and Megadeth can can say like, oh yeah, but I like Skid Row. Like you don't get a lot of that with kind of the the 80s hair guys, you know. Like, and, and if that's a derogatory term, I do apologize. But I'm just saying of that era. Skid Row kind of gets a pass, and I, I've not, I don't know what that is. Do you do you have any idea what you think that is? Yeah, I think that when when people came to see us live, there was an energy there that existed in our live performance that was like it was like a train nearly going off the rails, but it never did. <laughs> right? Uh, it was always we always had a fierce uh, live show from uh, as far as our intensity and. Uh, and then I think Slave to the Grind coming really solidified that and showed that more uh, hard rock, somewhat metal side of the of the of the band. And uh, we garnered a lot of uh, a lot of respect from heavier bands with the Slave to the Grind record, which you know that the the idea to go heavier was absolutely on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't want to retread where we were. And our, like I said, our live shows were high energy, man. Uh, and we, uh, we we came across in a live situation heavier than maybe what our first album uh, represented. And I, don't get me wrong; I obviously love our first record. I love the sound of it, mm-hmm. but, but I think that record, coupled with seeing us live, paints a bit of a different picture for the band overall. Uh, as as opposed to just listening to that first record like you had to you had to see the band in order to understand who Skid Row was more than just listening to the first record so 
you know, I become friends with, you know, with a, a lot of guys in heavier bands and we've done shows with, with a, a few of them. And like, you know, Kerry King is, is I consider him a, a really good friend and, and the guys in Anthrax, uh, I just, I love dearly. And we've been friends for a long time. And Lars and I go back a long way from Metallica. And so, uh, and obviously the Pantera guys are just, you know, they're my brothers. Right. Uh, so, we we uh we did get uh a lot of respect and i think i think the that was one from seeing us play live uh and then uh two with the with the release of slave to the grind yeah such a great record um thank you you know sp- speaking on pantera a little bit you know they always talk about the pantera home videos those Skid Row home videos, man, the, those, those were a lot of fun, too. I was actually just watching a little bit of Roadkill, you know, before we got on and a little bit of Oh Say Can You Scream, man. But I think that you guys should get more credit in the uh, even in the home video side of it because your personalities all came through. Yeah, they were so much fun to make. I mean, you know, I, I remember one Christmas. Uh, it was uh, the, the, the Christmas before we started doing the first record. So that would have been the Christmas of uh 87 i guess no no uh it was the christmas after we did the first record so it was the christmas of 88 uh john Bon jovi gave rachel and i video cameras <laughs> and uh and he uh he's like have at it and i'm like oh we both were like we filmed everything yeah so that was the most of that stuff was off of our you know with the exception of like the big guns video or the psycho love video uh, all that stuff was was mostly from our video cameras, and we just we were like for a long time we were just like Dimebag was like Dimebag videotaped everything. Right, it was awesome, and he was so much fun. Oh my god, one of the most fun people I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. And uh, but yeah, we were we were we would film everything. Obviously, we we were having the time of our lives. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that's one thing, too. I almost want to thank you guys and Pantera because I have so much footage of my early bands because we thought we were Pantera and Skid Row, you know, uh, you know, going on little janky tours and filming, you know, us walking into the gas station and whatnot. And everybody's like, why do you have so much footage? And I'm like, because we thought we were Pantera. You know? ah, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, dude, I mean, you know what? It's so much fun. I'm so happy that we documented all that mm-hmm. stuff because, you know, you have a... a you have a, a visual of a, a certain period of time in your life that, that will last forever. And I think that's special. Yeah. The, uh, the, the helmet here is from the uh, Vinnie Paul estate auction. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Oh, that's I was, fantastic. I went through that list of everything in the estate auction and I was like, if he's got a Titans helmet, I have to own it. <laughs> you know. Wow. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I'm still looking. I know because obviously he's got a lot of photos and stuff. I I would hope to find a photo of it, like in the background or like at a uh, you know in a sports memorabilia room or something like that. But it's sure, a sure. it's a it's a full on authentic helmet. It's like a player issued helmet. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with it. That's awesome. <laughs> Good score. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was it about those guys that made you want to take them on tour back in the day? I mean, I think I've heard this answer a few times, but just you know, just that that Skid Row Pantera era. At that time, man, what a what a great time for music. Oh, the uh, Scotty Hill had listened to Cowboys from Hell, and he's like, "You guys have to listen to this record." And we had some other ideas as far as initially about who we wanted to bring out, and uh, for one reason or another, a, 
uh, one or two other bands that we we wanted to bring out couldn't do it. And Scotty Hill's like, check out this band, man. We should take these guys out on the road. And we did, and we loved it. Like, this is amazing. And uh, we had met them when we were in Texas uh, previously, like Rex. We had met Rex and I believe Diamond. They were just so much fun. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, this could be really amazing. And it turned out to be uh, bigger and better than, than anything we could have imagined. What a, what a, an amazing period of time in our lives. Uh, we were on our first headlining tour. It was such an honor to be, have gotten to that point. Uh, and then to have these guys out who were just, you know, you had to be great every night following that band. Oh, yeah. They brought it every night and we watched them every night because not only did we love them as people, uh, or I should say not only did we love them as a band, but we love them as people too. And just to see them starting to take off during the course of the nine months that we were on tour together, like that band really, really started to really take off during that tour. And I, it was just so amazing to watch, and I, you know, just so unbelievably happy for them and, and to see the heights that they achieved. And, and uh, you know, you just always knew in, in, in the back of your mind that they were going to be something special because they were, they were already something special. Mm -hmm. It just took the rest of the world time to catch up to it. Yeah. I mean that, that, that tour is still talked about. I mean, because obviously Soundgarden's on part of the tour and Pantera's on part of it. I mean, so you, I mean, obviously you guys were, were seeing, what was going on around you, you know, you, you guys just didn't take out a bunch of, you know, other bands from the eighties. You actually brought out new artists that, that you guys enjoyed. Love Soundgarden as well. And, you know, unfortunately we were only able to do one show with the three bands together, which was in Denver. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget McNichols arena. And uh, in 92, and it was for us, it was somehow those three bands worked together. I don't know how, but it it, it did. And, and kind of like we did a show on Memorial Day at, at uh, uh, what you call Alpine Valley. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was Love, Hate opened up, then Pantera, then Megadeth, then Skid Row. And it worked. Yeah. It Man, somehow it worked. And uh, that, I was really proud of the fact that we, we could go out with a band like Bon Jovi and still go and play shows with, you know, Megadeth and Pantera and so on and so forth. I know you're, you're somewhat in the camp of all this. So with the new Pantera, the Pantera reunion coming up, um, I guess my, my, my main question is why hasn't there been an official statement from the Pantera camp yet? You're hearing stuff from Zach, you're hearing stuff from Charlie, but there hasn't been an announcement yet about it. Oh, there will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i i'm uh i'm really not at liberty to really talk about anything right now i'm just excited at the thought of this happening yeah and it's and i will say this it, it, in no way is is it uh, uh a reunion at all obviously right. it, it, this is a celebration of the legacy of of one of a band that changed music Mm -hmm. heavy music uh and that's how uh, i believe everybody is is treating it and and for me as a fan 
I, I, I can't wait to, to witness it because those songs are amazing. And, and as, as was the band. And so to be able to go out and turn new people on to the, uh, you know, the machine mm. that was Pantera, the music that they created and to celebrate the, the legacy of the band and, and to celebrate the lives of, of Vinny and Dime. Uh, I think there's everything is right with that, yeah. you know, and, and to do it in a way, which I'm, I know they will to do it in a way that is nothing but uh, deeply respectful. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's something too, that, that it, it, it gives people a reminder just how influential uh, they were as a band and how influential both Diamond and Vinny were as, as musicians and songwriters. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, I mean, the one thing that I said, I've said since day one, you know, I've, I've recorded many episodes about this, I think, but I was like, day one, I want to see the, the, you know, the logo on fire. I want to see the flames. I want to see the light show. I mean, there was so much to a Pantera show, that uh, that hopefully you know obviously this needs to be gigantic and you know a celebration. Like I said, I think the main thing I've heard from a lot of people are skeptical, but they'll still be first day ticket buyers. I think sure. that's the main thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to to digest here, I guess. But the thing, really, the thing is, is that it's really simple. It, it is, you know, a celebration of 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 Pantera's music and Pantera's history with really great musicians. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can't wait, man. I'm I'm like I said, man, day one, uh day one ticket buyer, wherever it's gonna be, even if I have to travel, I will be there. <laughs> um couple of other things I just wanted to hit on. Um obviously you kind of live through that that you know, the metal edge magazine days and you know, go into circus and hip reader and rip and all you know, all the things that I sat in the grocery store and just you know flip through and and you know, if I couldn't afford it, I would have read it at the thing. I um, did the same thing, I did the same yeah. exact thing, sure. <laughs> Just if you needed to find me, I was probably at the grocery store in the magazine aisle, sitting down on the floor, um, kind of seeing the, 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 you know, from, from those days of, you know, it, the news and those were three months behind to the now with podcasts and blabbermouth and the inner, just, just everything is so, you know, you say something right now, it can be, you know, news in five minutes, you know, that, that whole thing. You know, what, what is your kind of take on, on the whole, I guess, you know, history of that, I guess. I, I, there was, you know what discovering and listening to music and uh was ritualistic in so mm -hmm. many ways you know you go to the store and you buy the album or the cd and, and you get home and you open it up and you immediately put it on or put it in and uh and you read the liner notes and you read all the thank yous and you read mm -hmm. the lyrics and and it's just it was a ritual you shut your door and if you were friends they were in the room with you and you shut your door and you just listened you would comment on each song after it was over you might have debates about it is it better than the last <laughs> one? Is, you know but it was a ritual uh and then and it was the same thing like you talk about going to the supermarket i used to do the same thing i would go to the supermarket and i go to bookstores like a Barnes and Noble or Borders when Borders mm -hmm. were still around. Uh, and I would read the magazines uh, for as long as they would allow me to. And back then <laughs> it was, you know, like Circus Magazine and Rock Scene and Cream Magazine. Those are the ones that I kind of grew up on. And, it, and, you know, especially like Cream Magazine taught, taught me a lot about downtown New York City punk, 
you know, like that's how I, even though it was right over, you know, really close to my house and where I grew up at, that's how I started finding out about, you know, those bands and, you know, Ramones and Sex Pistols and Blondie and uh, television and, and so on and so forth. And how legendary that whole area was, Patti Smith and Lou Reed. Um, but Kiss was also in there and Aerosmith <laughs> right. was also in there. Sorry, I'm the winds blowing on my head. Um, and so that morphed into us actually being able to be in those magazines. And I loved it, man. I, it was incredible to me because, you know, even though your record is selling uh, however well it was selling, you're still, you still have no money. You know, like nothing's <laughs> trickled down to you yet. Right. So you're still, you know, you got 12 people on a bus that's, that can barely fit 10 people every day and you're eating still eating tuna fish and macaroni and cheese and you know on off days and and you know luckily on the uh, you're hopefully you're on an, a good enough tour where they have good catering every day so that's where you you know you live but to get those magazines and see you know yourself within them or on the cover i mean you know and the great thing was my mom saved everything nice so i still have all that stuff like she saved everything. And so I, I I look back on that with great fondness. And then, you know, today I still get a kick out of, you know, uh, finding stuff online about us, uh, you know, the alerts that I have set up for Skid Row and, and hearing, you know, uh, or seeing uh, stuff like this, like, mm -hmm. like our, our talk here. And, and I'll go back and watch them because it's fun to me. And, and I've made it a, a pretty standard practice not to not to go in the comments section. <laughs> yeah, stay away uh, from those. Man. Yeah, I mean, to me, you know, it's like it, it, I had to make a choice. It's like, look, if you're gonna if you're gonna gravitate towards the positive stuff, which obviously is human nature, you're gonna have to read the negative stuff too. And I just don't want that in my life, so I I, I, I choose to. You know, check out the the piece on its mm -hmm. own and, and leave it at that. And and unless there's something controversial that I say by accident, and and it bears noting what what people are 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 thinking about that particular thing, and right, and whether I have to apologize for something or not. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, we're we're we are uh, underneath the microscope to such an amazing degree in this day and age, and and. Uh, it wasn't like that in the past. I have a feeling that, you know, if, if that, if it was like this 30 years ago, uh, I, I don't know how many people would have survived, uh, with all the, with all the backlash that occurs uh, online for, uh, for, uh, you know, some things are, are rightfully there's a backlash, but there's a lot of things that, that don't deserve backlash. And, and, you know, the cancel culture and stuff like that. I find that to be uh, so over the top and um, uh, un unnecessarily dissected. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. I mean, there's, there's, there's bad people out there and that do bad things and, and they should be held accountable for that. Right. I, I absolutely believe in accountability, but I also think that it, to, before people rush to judgment, there, there needs to be context that is taken into consideration. Oh yeah, absolutely. The um, yeah, you're talking about the comment section, man. I, I, I interviewed Jason Newstead for the black albums, 30th anniversary. I'm, 
you know, on top of the world in my own brain. And then I put it out. And like one of the first comments is like, this interviewer wears his hat funny. I'm like, really? That's what you took away from my Jason Newstead interview? Exactly. <laughs> that's the thing I'm talking about. Like, yeah. uh, like they looked at everything else and had nothing bad to say about anything else. They couldn't find anything. So they're going <laughs> to find a flaw in your hat. Exactly. So it's a ridiculous thing in the world. And, and then, it, you know, I think it, it, it starts minimizing all the good that comes out of doing stuff like this. Like I, I, I like getting to know artists uh, to this day. Yeah. You know, like it's, in, uh, it's in entertaining to me to see someone such as yourself talking to a Jason Newstead. That's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like I want to see that. And, and I, and I love that while there may be a deluge of, 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 uh, you know, media platforms and 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 uh, uh, podcasts and uh, and and whatnot. I think that there's so many good ones out there that it's just you can. You, I go down a rabbit hole, and uh, you know, I find myself three, four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm watching, uh, you know, like Slayer Live from '85 in Los Angeles, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow I got there. Yeah. And, and, but it, it's fun. And as long as like, I just wish people were a, a little bit more lighthearted and, and, uh, and not so quick to uh, point fingers and, and to accuse, be accusatory. And um, that's the one thing that, that, that is uh, distressing to me a little bit. Oh yeah. Speaking of rabbit holes, man, I, I love going down rabbit holes of, of looking up concerts I went to, and then I, if they're online, I'm just like, there, there was a Metallica show. I was at the guy, whoever filmed it, had to have been standing right next to me. Like the angle, you know, the ang- I'm like, how, how did this guy get a camera in there? You know, like all those, all those cameras back in the day. You know, right? That's insane. I, I love stuff like that too. Like, uh, uh, I'll go back and, and revisit like the Kiss Alive two tour, which is where I first saw Kiss and 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 I haven't been able to find any footage from the show that I was at, but definitely that tour uh, in in seventy seven, December of seventy seven. Yeah, there's 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 a guy online. Um, What's his name? Sam Loomis, I think. Yep. He's been leaking a bunch of stuff lately, man. So Amazing you might find stuff. it. Amazing stuff. Yeah, like all that old stuff from seventy four, like the Midnight Special from seventy four, and. Mm-hmm different shows like they had a show from 72 in there uh, i was like wow this is incredible like that that's like a 12 hour saturday night going on <laughs> right. yeah the uh what's crazy is i guess there's always been this underbelly of tape traders that trade for money so they've all known not to release this stuff so there's like just this insane amount of kiss right. footage out there that that's been protected or so it's just insane man how yeah it is insane. That, that band is just so many levels of just crazy how how fans are with kiss and i love oh, kiss so don't get me, me wrong too. I, they changed my life i mean they're they're that show that i was referring to was the show i got home from that show. And, and I realized that I don't know what I'm going to do in music, but it's going to be in music. My yeah. life is, is going to be music. Yeah. There's so many, so many bands that just be like, yeah, I went and saw kiss in the seventies. And, and that's what I knew, you know, like uh, that's, that's every, like so many stories out there of that. Yeah. And uh, I love it. I, I love it. Like, 
that band is just uh they are the reason why i play music that it, it's absolutely their fault and uh so if someone hates the music that i play blame kiss <laughs> you know i was i was too young for the first iteration of of makeup kiss but uh you know 97 is when i saw them on the reunion tour i was 17 or 18 literally in the stands just crying <laughs> like just just like never thought i would ever see it i mean obviously you see it all the time now but i never thought i would see the four originals in makeup in an arena it was crazy i felt the same way like when that happened and you know uh our management was managing them uh it was and still does um they uh they they brought me back all the way back to the reason why i started playing music in the first place and what a gift that is you know to be able to kind of relive those moments again and then that tour was phenomenal what a what a tour oh absolutely you do something fun real quick man I, i found uh i found two Dave Sabo rock cards. <laughs> so we'll do uh, we'll do some fact or fiction on the back here. See if, the, oh, if, cool. these, are, if these are true or not. Um, it says your specialty is the guitar. <laughs> That's debatable. Uh, birthday, September 16th. Yes. Hometown of Parlin, New Jersey. Yes. Which is a small part of Saraville, New Jersey. Okay, all right. And then it's got your influences are Kiss, Judas Priest, Aerosmith, Van Halen, Iron Maiden, and Randy Rhodes. That's very, very accurate. <laughs> I mean, if they had more room, there would have been about 10,000 more guitar players on there, but uh, and, and, and bands as well, because my influences, like that that was kind of a, an immediate thing, but my, my influences go back to you know, Elvis and, and, and the beach boys and Motown, you know, like the Jackson five and things like that. And then, uh, you know, Sabbath and, uh, humble pie and, and 10 years after. Cause I have four older brothers mm-hmm. and they turn me on to everything. So I, I was, you know, Springsteen and, and the, and the Jersey shore music of the Jersey shore, all that stuff was, was, so influential on on who i would develop uh to be as a songwriter uh and the great thing about it was when i met rachel and we were discussing this stuff we had a lot of the same influences because he was raised by his older siblings as well and they turned him on to all their music which was not dissimilar to the music that i was being turned on to by my family so that's one of the reasons why we clicked so immediately was we were raised on the same stuff. Oh yeah. So we could have a conversation about Kiss, and we could have a conversation about uh, you know Motown and the Four Tops and the Temptations and and equally. So did you uh, did you see the Elvis movie? Not yet. I'm oh good afraid. man, I love. Is it? it? Yeah. See, I was I didn't want it to be a hit piece, you know, and I heard I it was really good. Yeah, I don't think it's a hit piece. I think it more it's more. I would say it's more of a hit piece on Colonel Tom Parker than that is Elvis. understandable. That's so, understandable. And the kid that plays Elvis is just, you know, it, you know, just the charisma just flows off the screen. Very well done, cinema, cinematography wise, stuff like that. But, but yeah, I wish. Uh, yeah, that's a great movie that Elvis. I, I will watch it. I, I, a friend of mine uh, who I I trust his tastes has seen it three or four times already. Okay. Well. <laughs> yeah. 
And you can also tell Rachel that when I, I, I can vividly remember being, I think in third grade, asking my mom if I could get the nose ring to the ear. <laughs> you know, and she's like, no, you cannot do that. I will tell him that. Uh, he will greatly appreciate that for sure. It's funny we how many people were pumped when he brought that back. You know, yeah. it's just silly how like little stuff like that. You're like, he brought the nose ring to the you know the nose ring chain back. It's great. Um, he, I'm a huge SNL fan, so I'm just gonna ask you, man, how was uh, many many moons ago? But how was the SNL experience for you? Uh, it was absolutely incredible because, I mean, I grew up on it. Mm-hmm. I saw so many great bands on there on those, on those stages. And to be able to be a part of that, I mean, that's, you know, they're, they're, they're going to, they're going to be on the air 50 years in a few years, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, and they're, they're so entrenched in pop culture history that it's an absolute honor to be able to get up there and play. I was really nervous. I, I get nervous before our shows to this day. So I just turn it around in my head and, and go from whatever you might be fearing to being excited about the opportunity that lies in front of you. And I uh, I was nervous because I you know I start out that monkey business by myself and and it's very strange because you're only playing to an audience of a you know a hundred or so hundred two hundred people. But it's in your head. <laughs> you also know that you're being broadcast to eight million. So it, it, you know, it's one of those things where you just have to stay really, really firmly and entrenched in the moment of where you're at, uh, and not be uh, overwhelmed by the enormity of the of the moment. And and that's what we did. We kind of looked around at each other and, and we were like, "We got this, and we're gonna kill it. Yeah, we're gonna crush it." And uh, <laughs> that was that was the the mantra we we will crush this. Like there was no like, Oh man, I don't know. It was never like that. We were all firing on all cylinders because we knew that we had, uh, we had to crush it. We had to kill it because it was going to live in perpetuity. Like that didn't get lost on us either. Yeah, least- that, that monkey business riff dude is, is that just intro. Did you write the intro? Yeah. What a, what a, just, just to this day, I was actually, another thing I was listening to today, you know, hit through on monkey business, man. And just when it kicks in and then the, the cowbell and just, just everything about monkey business, probably, you know, top five song of all time for me. Thank you so much, man. That means, that means a lot. That's a, that's one of my favorites as well. So good, man. Well, um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll start and let you get out of here, man. We take about an hour of your day today. Um, my, pleasure. my pleasure, dude. You're easy to talk to, man. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, not trying to get you with too many gotcha questions, but uh, <laughs> no, 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 all good, all good. Uh, last thing written down, we'll do this one. Um, kind of, kind of the 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 you know today versus versus yesteryear stuff. Uh, you know, obviously going to the internet and and seeing your you know Eric on the internet and and just knowing about him through whatever. And you kind of touched on a little bit earlier about him being in in Sweden. You know, back in the day, you know, you would hope that the, you know, if the guy lived two towns over, that might be too far away. Exactly. You know? How funny like, is that? <laughs> or you know, you hope that they go to the same guitar store because you've got the note on the uh, little bulletin board that you know Singer wanted or whatever. But uh, it's true. It's very uh, true. Crazy times we're living in, man. Yep. Well, I that that's. I mean, look, 
You're absolutely right because had this been 20 years ago, who knows if this would have been able to work. Right. And I guess we kind of have a history of, of international singers. <laughs> one from Toronto, one who, you know, from Manchester, UK, and then, you know, via South Africa and Australia, and another one from Stockholm. So, you know, I guess we truly are an international band. <laughs> <laughs> Too much fun, man. Well, the uh, the gang's all here out October 14th, man. Start to finish, great record. And uh, Snake Sable, man, it's been a honor and pleasure to have you on the show. Pleasure's been all mine, Josh. And and let me add really quick with uh, with the new record, because it, yeah. it, it, it bears mentioning. Nick Raskulinitz, who produced the record, uh, his resume speaks for itself. I mean, you know, Hailstorm and Stone Sour and Foo Fighters and Alice in Chains and Rush and so on and so forth. He is a huge reason why this record is what it is. He had a, a, a goal in mind, and, and I'll, I'll attempt to make this a sh short story. Um, he mentioned to Rachel when they were just met that he wanted to do, he wanted to produce a skid row record. And we were like, there's no way this guy wants to produce us. Like he's way out of our league. And, and right. So we just thought he was being nice. And then he mentioned it to Rachel again. And Rachel goes to me, I think he's really serious. We should attempt to make this happen. I'm like, absolutely. So we went through whatever we had to go through. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, we're going to make this work. We're like, this is incredible. So, we, <laughs> so when we got with him and we had given him all our songs that we were working on that were finished and, and recorded, and he was like, my goal is to make the quintessential Skid Row record. And he said to us, I'm going to reintroduce you guys to yourselves. And I was like, that's heavy. <laughs> what a, like, and almost like, what do you mean by that? And what he meant by that was that he's really, really well versed in, in art history up until this point. Like, he's a fan, saw us play back in the day, has kept up in, 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 uh, with what we've been doing up until this point. His whole thing was, you guys, and, and it, 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 it happens, you guys have gotten away from who you were, you know, back in with the around the first record. We're like, well, of course, because right. we're older and life happens and stuff like that. And, you know, one of the things that it does occur is that you're recording, you record your first record, you go in to make your second record. Well, you don't want to be redundant. You want to make a different record. Uh, not hopefully not too drastically different, but just different. Uh, and that happens every record until 36 years later or whatever, you realize, holy crap, like we're pretty far away from where we were. And, and that's a good thing. And, and, but it's also good to be able to have someone point that out to you and go, let's go back to the essence of, of, of who you were. And what, what, what drives you or drove you to make music in the first place? And you find that that still exists within you. That what got you to pick up the guitar and to create music, that essence is still there. That fire still burns. Or else you, you wouldn't be doing this anymore. Uh, and the fact that we're still doing it because we love it means that that initial fire is still burning in there. He wanted to get us back to that sort of bare, uh, raw, uh, uh, 
essence of, of, of what exists in all of us. So right. how he does that is we get in a room and the first thing that you do is upon entering the studio, you leave all of your ego and everything in that parking lot. That That is no business in the studio whatsoever. So the raw nerves are exposed and we're going to go in and we're going to create for the greater good, no matter what. No, no uh, attaching yourself to anything and taking it personally, nothing like that. This is a group effort on all levels. And so we, example, we'd be playing a bunch of songs and he would stop us. It was the four guys, Rachel Scotty, Rob and myself, amps cranked, drums bombastically loud, and Nick. And we're going through stuff and he's like, I love that. I love that B section. The chorus we need a little work on. That part coming out of the chorus, I like it, but I would like you to do something like you did coming out of the B verse, second B verse of Big Guns. Right. I like light bulb. And, <laughs> and it, it spurred, it was a challenge. Like he challenged us to be us. Right. If that, if that makes any sense. But it, it, I mean, in my brain, it makes complete sense. He challenged us to be who we are, what yeah. we're capable of. Uh, and you, everybody stepped up to that challenge because we, we, we not only wanted to do it for the greater good of the record, but we wanted to make him happy because <laughs> he's got that type of personality. Like he, he speaks to you in such a way that you just will do anything to succeed because this guy with all of his accolades and he's such a wonderful person, man, what a great guy an encyclopedia of music knowledge uh, loves everything that we love uh, and turned us on to some like really great stuff as well. And he's very clear in his, uh, in his mission and knows how to accomplish it and really, really brought so much great stuff out of us. Uh, as a guitar player, speaking for myself, he really, really brought stuff out of me that I hadn't approached in an awfully long time. He really accentuated the twin guitars of Scotty and I. And, and I mean, I think almost every song we both play solos in, we're doing more harmony solos. Um, it was from a guitar player standpoint, it was just so much fun to hear someone go, you got something more in you. I know you, you've got something more and you go, you know what? Fucking a you're right. Let's go. And that, and you get there and you're like high fiving, And it's just such a positive experience. No weirdness. No uh, uncomfortability um, because everyone made a vow that when we're in there, you know, we're not anything other than a group of guys in a band that we love attempting to make the music that we want to hear and, and thus love as well. And then that experience coupled with Eric coming in and bringing what he brought and brings to the table. What an amazing experience. It, it, it's very difficult for me to, to quantify that in any way, but it, it's just, 
it was uh, not only life affirming, but definitely life changing as well. And I'll second that, man. I mean, listening to the album, being a giant Skid Row fan, the album sounds like Skid Row. Thank right? you. And then that's what you want, you know, and that, and that's going to be tough on an artist to not, you know, we want this Skid Row album that sounds like Skid Row. We don't want the Skid Row Five Finger Death Punch album. You know what I'm saying? You and, 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 and that's you and that's both. tough. You know? Yeah, no, and no, obviously no slight to them because yeah. they're a band, but no, no, obviously. And and you know, sometimes you know, life life takes you down many, many paths, and your viewpoints may change and your perspectives may change, but it's great to know that deep within the soul and the spirit of each individual, the person still exists. The 16 year old person still exists who hung his guitar low in front of a mirror and pretended to be Ace Freely or Randy Rhodes or, or Michael Shanker or Eddie Van Halen. Uh, that person is still there and reacquainting yourself, re, you know, meeting that person again uh, is really, really uh, life changing from a musical standpoint. I love it, man. Well, Dave Snake Sabo, man, thanks for taking some time here. Talk to me, podcastnotfest.com. Excellent, Josh. Thank you so much, buddy. You take care of yourself, all right? Thank you for your time. The Talk To Me Podcast, presented by notfest.com. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Be sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app to get the latest from the Talk To Me Podcast.